we have been trained from infancy, really, to think of us and them, and you're you and I'm me, and it's just business, and these are externalities, and we see the world as, as made up of distinct and separate things, and really, it's not how the world is. I'm your host, Anna Malikian, and before we start with today's show, please remember to visit Mindset dot zone yes instead of dot com it's dot zone there you can find all the episodes and other amazing resources all at mindset dot zone neil redding is a speaker an author who leveraged a rare multidisciplinary perspective that draws on the craft of software engineer, even work on Apple, the art of brand narrative and expression, and the practice of digital physical experience strategy. Neil is also the editor of Near Future of Retail in Medium.com, and is writing his forthcoming book, The Ecosystem Paradigm, and advises multiple startups at the leading edge of the digital physical convergence. He's truly an innovation architect. So welcome to the Mindset Zone, Neil. Thank you so much, Anna. It's really great to be here. And uh, I really, we had the opportunity of uh, met in person in some, in a public speaking training event. And I really was fascinating by your message. And uh, you always are speaking about in one way or another about that everything is connected uh, and how it's important to see the connections between everything. And I think um, from our conversations that uh, previous to this recording, we are speaking about how this was always true, but how is even more important now in this kind of world post-COVID-19. So tell us a little bit why it's so important, in your opinion, to see that everything is connected. Yeah, thank you. So I would say, right, we could probably easily agree that humanity or like we as humans on this planet have some pretty major challenges to work through at this point, right? If we're going to, if we assume we're going to have a thriving future for ourselves. You know, we've got climate, we've got political polarization, we've got just everyday disruption, right? If we're business leaders, um, sort of dealing with how our business is going to survive, how are we going to staff, how are we going to survive financially? So the point is, there are lots of different challenges. And my view that I've really come into the past few years is that it's really, and I think you'll understand this, right? Being um, that you run the Mindset Zone as a podcast, you know, that there's a, there's a problem with our collective mindset or the way we see the world that is keeping us from actually being able to solve these great challenges from climate all the way down to everyday business disruption. And that it's not a matter of us not feeling guilty enough, say, about uh, you know the contribution we make to climate change or, or anything else. And it's actually an issue with how we see the world. Uh, and I think this has to do, uh, because even let's speak about the climate change challenge. Uh, we know that is happening. Uh, we know that uh, the forecast is not good. 
that the individuals feel a little bit uh, paralyzed about what can I do about. Yes. Uh, okay, I can recycle, I can uh, uh, um, save on water, but is that going really, or even buy an electrical car, but what is the really of the impact in the big picture? And what you are trying to bring to organizations and to the thinking about this is that uh, yeah, we if we want to provide a solution and innovation that provide a solution, we have to think this in a more systemic, global way, correct? Yes, yes, exactly. Do you mind if I, I'd love to tell a little bit of a story, sort of how I got yes. to this point, you know, um, this way of thinking. You know, if we wind the clock back a couple years uh, to, I guess, June, like just exactly two years ago, June 2020, we can all remember what was happening then. Maybe we don't want to remember <laughs> so much, but, but, you know, so I'm in New York City. You know, it was really the, you know, a few weeks after George Floyd's murder, you know, so it was the heat of the protests. I mean, people were not going to work because the pandemic was in full swing, right? Um, it was very hot out, so it's summer in New York City. So there was just this intense rising energy and people were coming together, you know, on the streets and like protesting all day long because there was no jobs to go to. And I had this kind of epiphany as I was spending time out with people, you know, it was like a, a visceral mind-body experience of just how pervasively everything is connected, you know, just getting clear about, yes, we learned that global supply chains are being disrupted, you know, global travel, right? Who knew that there were so many flights in and out of Wuhan, China every day, you know, but just that, you know, and then being together with all these humans, you know, there was concern, like, why are we protesting given that the virus is so easy to spread, but that we share this air that we breathe together, especially when we're indoors. And then just seeing you know, the societal structures, there was a lot of rising awareness of structural racism and how the way we interact with each other and think about each other and the world um, leads to this us versus them mentality, leads to, for me, certainly in blind spots, like how I'm complicit in structural racism, you know, and the impact that has on Black people. And so all of these different things kind of came together and many other kind of observations. But I just had this sense that, you know, all of this disruption of the way we live normally had this effect of brilliantly illuminating all of the connectedness, you know, the connectedness between people and places and things that we're normally not mindful of or we're even seeing, you know, in everyday life. And so, you know, to get back to your question about why it's so important, right, to see the connections between everything, and I can get more into this, but uh, as you mentioned, you know, we met in this public speaking context, you know, this speech that I'm developing really takes as its premise that, you know, we are struggling to solve these great challenges because we have been trained from infancy, really, to think of us and them, and you're you and I'm me, and it's just business, and these are externalities, and we see the world as, as made up of distinct and separate things. And really, it's not how the world is. You know, really, the world is fundamentally made of connected ecosystems, certainly in nature, but also between us as humans and between businesses and customers. And, and so seeing that allows us to unlock solutions at the everyday level and even at the planet level. Yeah. And I, I, I think in a theory level, people knew that. And there was lots of research and lots of academia work on the interconnectedness, the systems, all of that. 
that I think what uh, the COVID-19 and the George Floyd brought to uh, an experiential level. How things, let, let's focus for a moment on the COVID-19, because uh, the thought that what a flu in China or some kind of respiratory infection in China is going to affect us. Oh gosh, we are learning the hard way <laughs> how something in the other side of the world can affect the all the world in a big, big way. And the, like you were describing, even the supply chain, things that we never thought about, the ports and how they work and the, how really is, um, I remember many years ago um, uh, reading about the butterfly effect, how the little butterfly flapping their wings somewhere in the other side of the world could affect the weather in um, um, where we live and was like, but was a, a theoretical exercise of imagination in many ways. And uh, we had, we live, we are still living the results of how when things go in a certain way, it really can affect us all in a preservative way that uh, we have to face it. Because the, the reality is always there. But uh, we are lucky enough that things seems to balance until there is a tipping point that suddenly, even in the systemic racism, there were people that were feeling it day to day and was their reality. But for many, I'm putting myself in the privileged group, was not something that I was thinking every day until a situation is so egregious that... Uh, we cannot, okay, we have to do something about how that is possible, you know, that to happen literally in front of our eyes. So, and the, in going to the, the business world, they are always now worried about what is the next disruption, what is going to happen next. This kind of thinking cannot, is not no more a luxury has to be part of the way that they see the world. And I think a lot of your message is that this cannot be just an armchair exercise of wondering, this is the reality, Let's uh, and you are providing a framework for them to make sense of it. Yes, yeah, no, exactly. Very well said. So I think you're getting at precisely the point, which is that, you know, historically, business leaders, right, those who are in charge of, you know, in the C-suite, you know, uh, what the current business model is, you know, operating the business according to that, and then gradually over time evolving evolving the business model to bring in new customers or work with new partner businesses or, you know, respond to changing market conditions. I mean, all of that, you know, for established businesses tends to happen in a, in a mostly reactive way, right? So, and, and the challenge is that, you know, I mean, this has been said countless times, right, in the last couple of years, but that because businesses were not planning for the kind of disruptions that COVID and the pandemic uh, created, it was very difficult for them to to react quickly enough. And so, yeah, the, the stance that I take in the, in the consulting work I do with my company, Writing Futures, and, and for, for many years, really, has been that, you know, if you're a brand or your business and, and you interact with people like consumer level customers or even other businesses in an enterprise business, taking the or, or seeing your business and the context in which it operates, you know, in terms of society, in terms of the marketplace, in terms of your industry, seeing all of those domains as ecosystems 
you know, historically I've talked about digital and physical coming together and I've done a lot of work in retail to help digital experience be part of the physical space in retail and in hotels and hospitality and in workplaces and so on. We can get into that. But this lens of holistically integrated ecosystems is the language I've used for many years is, is really powerful because, you know, you, if as a business, you start to look at what is the day-to-day life or moment-to-moment experience of the customer, the human, that I want to have a increasingly strong relationship with. You can apply the same lens to, you know, a business that's, that's our customer for a B2B offering, right? But looking at through this lens of um, the customer as a holistic, you know, connected person that is connected with many different contexts and points in their day and opportunities for us as a business to connect. This this lens of assuming connectedness is just really, really powerful. And because I think it's really this contrapoint, because I think we are still the lenses that we use to see the world, to understand the world and to live in the world and to try to solve problems. Is still very anchored, like you were referring to as versus them, the post-industrial revolution, the way that we organize things, the re- even in science, reductionism in terms of trying to find the variable that we can play to see how it affects everything else when things are much more complex. And uh, uh, and that had an incre- that kind of thinking that we are so good in the West to develop and to perfect had an incredible impact in the way that we live. But it's like it's almost like Newton theory of physics starts to now we are seeing the boundaries of it, the limitations of it, and we need an Einstein to come and to provide a wider kind of perspective and yes. theory that doesn't deny the reality of certain and the usefulness of something of the Newton theory, but allow us to explain what's happening this more complex uh, in the boundaries when uh, um, things get, uh, uh, the complexity arrives to a certain level. And your the ecosystem, seeing this in a holistic way in terms of ecosystems, allow us to provide that reference point and their lenses that, uh, uh, like Einstein, uh, is, doesn't need to be super complex. It is, it's not, it, uh, and but not necessarily, but we need to be able to articulate that in a way that people can embrace as a, a way of seeing the world. Yes. I love that you're making the Newton to Einstein and just broadly the scientific method kind of reference. That's that's one that I really love, you know, when I think about and speak about and have, have written about, uh, as you mentioned, this book I'm working on and articles on medium, um, collectively calling the ecosystem paradigm. The scientific method is one of these ways that we've learned to interact with the world, you know, identifying or isolating variables and figuring out, you know, which individual cause is relevant in a certain kind of analysis. But this is very, very powerful, right? I mean, I think as you pointed to, I mean, this is how we've created from the Industrial Revolution onward to today, the spectacular contributions to humanity that technology and industrial production and manufacturing have, you know, have created and industrial agriculture many, many amazing positive contributions to humanity. And also all of this collectively has brought us to the brink 
of where we are now, where a lot of things are starting to break down. And we can see that if we continue operating this way, we're not going to have a sustainable, thriving, abundant future for ourselves, right? And so I think the other reason why the Newton-Einstein kind of comparison, I think, is really, really fantastic and insightful is that we're still, you know, 100 or so years later, trying to grapple come to terms with the counterintuitive implications of Einstein's theories, right? That we still, our common sense is still grounded in Newtonian ways of seeing the world. And the idea that mass and speed and other um, aspects of, of our sort of daily intuitive experience are, are relative to uh, aspects of how the counterintuitive nature of general relativity, I think, without going into detail about it, is is still something that we are, are grappling with, right? And I think the there's a sense that even in that theory, or that set of theories of Einstein, that there's this deep connectedness between between particles in the universe, right? The idea of quantum entanglement implies that there can be this connection across arbitrary distances, you know, between particles. And so anyway, and I think what you're getting at is that there is a way in which fundamentally the world is, is connected, even though we don't intuitively understand it that way, you know, or we don't see it that way all the time. And because it's so, uh, in many ways, foreigner, difficult to, uh, to see and to understand it is sometimes easier to ignore. But I, let, let me bring another analogy or example, because uh, my background is in psychology and in psychotherapy. And I still remember um, when, and, and this was already <laughs> about 20 years ago, that um, I, my training in psychotherapy was in family systemic therapy. And I came from the regular psychology framework uh, that is um, very individualistic. So I still remember one of our teachers that he was trying to open our minds to new possibilities. And he was saying, okay, if we think about Freud and many of the uh, psychotherapy that came after Freud is seeing people as carrots. Uh, we can see something that comes out of the surface and there is a lot within the earth that we have to explore. That is the carrot. And people, okay, yeah. And he says, but maybe a better metaphor to describe as we relate as humans and the, in the family's uh, situations and the uh, and to even when is a problem that we identify in the, the individual, he was saying, no, the carrot metaphor maybe is not the best one. Let's think about as as mushrooms. And I know that you are going to like this one. <laughs> and uh, because we know about the mushrooms there, we can see that little thing that comes out of the ground is as an individual being or kind of sometimes with a lot of them coming out of the same place, but we can see it as an, uh, uh, as something there, but we cannot totally understand that being without taking into consideration the what goes under the surface uh, that connects all the mushrooms together. Uh, because that is really what sustains them and allows them to express in that way and be that thing. Things are connected. And nowadays we know that it's not just mushrooms. Even the trees, the way that they communicate and sustain as an ecosystem 
is very much more complex and there's a lot to do with the communication, like you always say, how they are connected that allows them to be that being that will not exist without that communication, correct? Yes, exactly. Um, and, and to add a little bit to that, um, you know, there have been a lot of mainstream articles. I think this is what you're referring to over the past number of months about how trees communicate and that they use uh, mushroom or fungal mycelium, which is the, what's below the soil or in the soil, the root structure that is kind of like, you know, if a mushroom is, is like an apple, then the mycelium is like the tree, the apple tree, right? I mean, it's, it's kind of the, the essence of the living thing of the organism. But the, the thing that, that we're realizing is that, uh, you know, for, for this mycelium, it's often interwoven at the molecular level with the roots of trees and other plants and to the point where um, biologists are starting to, to reconsider these assumptions or ways of, of categorizing that, you know, the fungi is a distinct organism from the tree. You know, they're actually these deep symbiotic relationships between what we've traditionally thought of as independent species. And so that, you know, we're starting to get in our, in our science, even into this realm of reconsidering the idea of distinct species, because so many species are so interdependent, just like, you know, in us, in our bodies, there are 10 times as many cells that are part of our microbiome, right? Microbes, bacteria, and things that live in and on our body, in our digestive system, on our skin, 10 times as many cells that are genetically not you, not me, yeah. as the ones that are us, right? This is mind-blowing. And all of those organisms are, most of them, right? Most of those microbes are essential to our healthy function day to day. And so are those part of us? I mean, I think we couldn't live if we didn't have that microbiome. So in some sense, it makes sense to think of them as, as part of us, right? Yeah. And, and that community, that connections. But is I love, let me go back to the example that you gave of the apple and the tree, because I think that is easier to grasp. Because I think the challenge is that we see ourselves as, and mainly in the Western world, we see ourselves as beautiful apples that like to be out there in the world, making their dent in the universe and going back to the apple, even the icon of apple, there is that little dent in the apple. It's like our mm. desire of live a legacy, the dent in the universe kind of thing. The Steve Jobs quote, right? Making a dent in the universe, yes. Yeah. And at the same time, uh, it's almost threatened that uh, self-image to consider, oh, we are part of the tree. So how, uh, and the, uh, we, I think naturally we almost fight against the, the idea of being part of the tree because we, is like a threatening to our individual way that we see the world. Yes. And I think where we, we have to break, it's not one or the other is the the level above. How can we bring this to a level that we are both and we still can be the apple, but we are not denying the existence of the tree. We are taking that in consideration, all the connections that exist and what kind of world can we build with it. Exactly. These are not mutually exclusive mindsets, right? I mean, there's we've talked about seeing the world as made of distinct, separate, isolatable things. Right for scientific purposes, for analysis purposes, for just you know at the level of human individuals, there's responsibility, right? Like I'm not responsible for your life, and you're not responsible for my life, and that's how we live. And not that that's wrong. I think there's a lot of power there, and at the same time, not mutually exclusive, right? At the same time, we are 
interdependent in important ways that we don't you know we don't operate that way and so and and sorry for because i think one of the challenges that we face is the language yes that we our language was developed and perfected for describing the apples to describing the newton kind of world and we still have to develop that language because you you speak a lot about the power of words yes how to develop a la language that is more inclusive that is more uh, holistic yeah exactly so i mean and and uh, even to take a step to step back or or a level out for a second um yes i mean we we live inside of language i mean language if you've ever really looked closely, um, which I think comes as part of a liberal education uh, often in the West anyway. I mean, look closely at language, the power of language to obviously create emotional experiences, to create feelings, um, to, to describe, right, to articulate um, and explain, and also um, at an even deeper and almost, um, almost invisible on a day-to-day -day basis uh, level to create the reality that we live in, right, to sort of create what the world is. So an example, you know, that I've offered to people when they say, okay, great, yes, everything is connected, we understand this, as you said earlier, I mean, this is something that's been kind of growing as an awareness for, for a lot of humans for quite a while, but, but so what, like, how does that actually impact how I run my business, how I run my life, you know, what do I, what can I do with that, or how can I actually start to see the world as fundamentally connected, and, and what would that look like? So a simple example that I use is the single word humanity. Right. So if we ask, you know, how would you refer to everybody, all humans? Right. The reality is that most of the time we're not talking about all humans when we talk about groups. Right. We might talk about Americans and foreigners. We might talk about conservatives and liberals. We might talk about, you know, whites and blacks, usually us versus them, you know, believers and non-believers. I mean, most of us grow up. I've certainly grown up, you know, thinking in terms of us and them, you know, in all these different categories. There's also been this term. Uh, mankind, right, which in English is used a lot. It's fascinating to me that it's still used, given how much greater awareness we now have of inclusiveness and, you know, gender, specifically gender inclusiveness and, and so on. But there's a word humanity that I really like to use because when we talk about the challenges facing humanity or where is humanity heading, there's a way in which I think that Just using this word helps us be present with the way we're including everybody, right? You know what I mean? Like when we say the word humanity, I think there's, we kind of have this picture of, well, that means everybody, including people that are not like me, people I don't even know, people that live on the other side of the world, you know? So it's this very inclusive term. And I find that it has this kind of powerful, almost glow to it. You know, it has this kind of, I might even say spellcasting, you know, it's like you create this experience with it that it feels like we're all in this together. So this is one simple example, uh, and there are others, right? But to start to build frameworks around seeing the world as connected and, and then um, by doing so, uncovering what are in our blind spots as potential solutions to a lot of our challenges. Absolutely. And uh, I, love the, I love the word humanity. Human is so, and I think you are putting articulating why I think so many of us like the word and uh, going back to what you were speaking about language, an interesting aspect of language, uh, language happens in a group. You cannot learn a language. You have the innate capacity of learning languages, 
that you need the interaction with others to learn a, spe a specific language. That is absolutely, and the way that we construct the meaning of the words and all of that is always a co-construction. And how the language evolve. Yes. Uh, and uh, so, and taking that in consideration and uh, the power of the words, I think individually, um, we are living in a, a now uh, that we are even with the, the gender pronouns is being, a, we are asked to put the spotlight. Why should I say this way or that way? We are really, uh, and it's uncomfortable. We also have to recognize because we weren't, uh, is, uh, is putting the spotlight in something, okay, why I should say this or that? Uh, and what is the implications of the way that I say and the words that I choose to say? So, is uh, but is imagine new solutions for the challenge that we have, and uh, how we can be more creative if we consider the connectedness of everything. Yes, yes. No, it's a great a great uh, point or way of uh, relating use of language to use of pronouns. And yeah, certainly many people ask, you know, why, why is this so important to use different pronouns? It's because, yeah, I mean, language creates reality, right? I mean, language certainly creates like how we, how we respond, you know, and certainly as, as a student or an expert in human psychology and, and even sociology, right? I mean, there's a sense that different language can convey something very similar, but can either get people riled up and upset or have them be calm and receive whatever it is that you have to say, right? And it's, it's, it's all in the language. And so getting very interested in, in the language we use is, is something that I've been sort of, I guess, naturally doing and drawn to and also incorporating more deeply into the practice that I, that I bring to clients that I work with yeah. in the business world. So what... Uh what are the resources? Because I think this is a muscle. How do you say seeing these things in a holistic way? Seeing this in a holistic way um, that um, everything is connected. Uh, is, this is a muscle. This is a, a lenses, the mindset that you spoke in the beginning that we really have to strengthen. Yes. So what kind of resources can we give out there to help people to uh, exercise this muscle? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I think one dimension of, of the answer to this is, you know, there's a whole body of study and expertise over the past few decades that's probably called systems thinking or systems design. So in the world of creating business models or creating technology or software-based systems, um, or even looking at uh, social systems, you know, that largely have human participants. I mean, that systems design is a, is a huge field and you might wonder how to start. I mean, one of the, one of the um, resources that I reference in my writing at the ecosystemparadigm.com is um, a piece of work that's quite short, actually, and I think quite accessible uh, by a systems thinker, really a legendary woman named Danella Meadows. And her piece is called Leverage Points, and it's, it's simply uh, kind of a summary analysis of work she had done for, for many, many years uh, around, you know, if you have complex systems, and they are complex, as you've pointed to, I mean, any reality is, is complex, right, made up of many moving parts. And you want to understand how to make change in a system, right? A lot of people talk about change the system, you know, tear down the system, rebuild a new system, the level of society, the level of business. 
But so what she looks at is here are the different points where uh, people, organizations who desire systems change or want to change a system can exert leverage on that system. Long story short, highly recommend you reading it. It's it's 15 to 20 minute read. Um, you could just Google um, leverage points, you'll find it. And I will make sure that we put that in the show notes, as well as uh, your, how do you say, I think your articles that you have in medium.com uh, is being really inspiring for me to think about these things and exercising that muscle of seeing things more as connected and how to articulate that. And I think uh, if anybody's really interested in knowing more about this, is following your work and what is the best way besides medium.com uh, for them to follow your work? Sure. So I would I would just point people to neilredding.com. It's N-E-I-L-R-E-D-D-I-N-G.com. Uh, at the at the moment that we're recording this, it's linking to my uh, LinkedIn profile, and there's a new uh, website that's going to include my writing, my speaking, and and the consulting work that I do. That is going to be up perhaps by the time this podcast is is live. So, and there'll be examples, you know, other business cases, use cases of of work that. Um, I mean, I could speak about today, but that are related to sort of B2C consumer business models and other kinds of brand uh, and business work that I've done with, with various clients. Love it. And uh, let's everybody exercising our muscle of seeing how things connect with each other, how when you are eating your food, where did this food came from? Uh, and everybody that had to be there to make that happen, that miracle, even when we open our faucet at home and the water comes out, uh, how a miracle and how so many people are involved and so many things are involved in that small miracles of life that we enjoy nowadays um, can be a great exercise for all of us to do. So thank you so much for your time, for sharing this perspective that is so important to face the big challenge out there. Thank you so much, Anna. It's been great to chat with you. Thank you for listening and remember to visit mindset.zone. Yes, instead of .com, it's .zone. There you can find all the episodes and other amazing resources, all at mindset.zone. As always, I'm so grateful you are here. Expand what's possible for you, for the ones around you, for the world.